Welcome to the East Coast Believers Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope this inspires and encourages you to grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Norm. We're in the middle of a series called Alignment. And this series is really based on the thought, what would your life look like if you aligned yourself with some principles in the Word of God? Because there are some areas in your life that you know that just really aren't working like they should. You know it, and, and I know it. And I believe that there are some areas that if we would align ourselves with some principles in the Word of God, that really our life would, would look different. And the thesis, the thesis, if you will, of this series is this. You are the sum total of your decisions. You are some t- your life is a result of the decisions that you are making. And, and I would throw this in on as an add-on. It's really not just decisions that you are making, but consistent decisions that you are making on a daily basis is really what your life is. And what we have found out is the difference between a, a, someone who's really successful and an average person is a successful person makes a few decisions and keeps them consistently in their life. An average person makes a lot of decisions and has no consistency in their life. And that works in any arena. Your walk with the Lord, your finances, your health, your marriage, your family. It'd make a few consistent decisions in your life and some principles that you'd align your life with. And so what I have done in this, when I put this together, I've taken four four different principles, what I call overreaching, overarching principles in the Bible that we could live our life by. And if you would add these to your decision-making this year in 2020, I believe at the end of 2020, your life would look a whole lot different than it does now. Because John chapter four is our text in verse 10. Jesus answered and he said, if you knew, he's talking to the woman at the well, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink. In other words, if you knew who, how generous God is and who he really is, you would ask him to get involved in your life. And can I tell you, he would give you a fresh living water. He would give you a fresh start. If you would just say, okay, God, I want to cooperate with you. I want to align my life with you. I, I'm just telling you, according to what scripture says, is your life would be changed. And I know a lot of us, we hope for change. And the truth is, is, Hope is a Bible word and hope is in the scripture and it's a good, it's a good, hope's a good thing, but hope is a bad strategy for lifelong change. Hope is a good start, but it's not a great finisher. Hope will get you moving. Here's what hope will do. It'll get you a New Year's resolution list and then by February you're done. Hope is, hope is a start, but it's not a great finish. Here's what I'm saying. You are the product of the principles that you live by. And, and so we're talking, a lot of us want to address behavior. Oh, excuse me, a lot of us want to address issues in our life, such as weight loss. We want to address issues like family issues. We want to address health issues. And instead of addressing the core principles of what we live by, we're addressing really the end result. And so what I want to do in this series is give you four principles that you can live your life by, based on Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. He said, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. A lot of us, we want to change from the outside in, but God doesn't do it that way. He changes you from the inside out. He said, recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always changing you or dragging you down rather to its level of immaturity. Here's what God does. God brings out the best 
of you, he develop, out of you, he develops well-formed maturity in you. And now, all I'm saying is, is God wants to bring the best out of you. And how he does this, and here's the process how he does it, he does it by maturing you. He does it by developing a well-formed maturity in you. And so we're going to talk about how to, really, how to move you and how to grow you this year so you can, God can get the best out of you. In fact, our whole programming here, I'll, I'll be honest with you, how we view church is this exactly this way. We want to help move people into maturity. We want you to grow in your relationship with God. Our vision is simple, that you, we go reach people far from God. We want to see the lost to be saved. But God, lo- and, and, and the truth is God will take you any way. Can I just tell you this? God will take you today any way you are. I need you to know that. But he loves you so much that he won't let you stay there. He wants you to grow in your relationship with God. Ultimately, we give your life to the plan of God. And that's why at the beginning of every year, we do something. We ask everyone to get involved in it. And it's 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it starts, started last Sunday. Come on, everybody. We're in week number two this week of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, um, you know, and we meet and we, and we pray and fast. We pray in the morning from 7 a.m. to 7.45. We invite you to come out. If you can't make it, a lot of you are streaming. We're blown away by the amount of people that are streaming in on that. And on Saturdays from 9 to 10 a.m., we pray and we fast for 21 days. Why do we do that? Because we want to see God bring the best out of us. And in fact, here's what prayer does. Fasting does, rather. Fasting, it turns down the the volume of the flesh. You know, fasting is just saying no to something in your life. Fasting, and and here's the principle. Whatever you starve dies, and whatever you feed thrives. And so fasting says you say no to something, and then, but you don't just say no to cauliflower, but you got to say yes to something else, prayer. You got to say yes to prayer. And what prayer does, it turns up the volume of God. Fasting turns down the volume of the world and prayer turns up. How how many of you know your life would be a whole lot better with more of God? Your your life would be a whole lot better with more of the volume of God in your life. And so that's why we do these 21 days. I want to invite you, even if you haven't started week one, come on, come be a part of week two. You know, I, I'll never forget, you know, I had a guy um, uh, several years ago, I first started, in fact, the first time we did 21 days of prayer and fasting, he was a brand new believer, and he called me, and, and um, he said, um, Pastor, I go, he goes, guess what I'm doing? I said, I, I, said I, I don't know, tell me. He goes, well, I'm sitting down eating ice cream cone, I'm out of town. I said, well, uh, what's going on? He said, well, I broke my fast. And so I was thinking in my mind that he was eat, ice cream was part of the thing. He was fasting. I said, well, it's okay. You know, we got week number two to start on. He goes, well, I'm not fasting ice cream. He goes, I was fasting cussing. He goes, and I just got through cussing someone out. And, um, and I'm having an ice cream cone. And, I, and he said, I, he said I, I can't believe I broke my fast. He goes, I said, I said, well, here's what I said to him. True story. I said, hey, man, listen, you know, uh, you can pick up on week number two. And I'm sure God won't be disappointed in you not to cuss anymore. You know, I said, you know, and I, we're going to, and he was sincere about it, you know. And now today he's just serving God, living for God and a leader. And uh, his life is radically different. And so do that. 
We've taken four principles. Last week we talked about, I think, the most important principle that you could live your life by, and that is having a God-first life. That's where you say, okay, God, you're not on my list. You're the top of my list. God, you're not a Sunday morning deal for me. You're a Monday through Saturday deal as well. Because a God-first life is a life that can order the rest of your life. If you'll put God first in your life, it'll affect your marriage. You put God first in your life, it'll affect your finances. You put God first in your life, it'll affect your children. You put God first in your life, it'll affect your schooling. And a God-first life affects every arena of your life. So I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go to our website. All of our messages are there. They're free. They're our gift to you. Today I want to deal with number two principle that I think would change really your life. These are a hab- this is a habit. This is a, 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 a behavior that we have to deal with. And, number, and I'm, I'm going to warn you. When I give you this principle, this is hard. When I'm gonna, this is not going to be easy. It's going to require intentionality. It's going to require work. It's going to require effort. If you want the life that God wants you to live this, this year, it's gonna take, it's gonna require you to put something into it. And here's, here's number, the second principle, and that is this, that, that my thoughts are incredibly powerful, so I must control them. My thoughts are, and if you look at your life, really, you'll find out that the most pivotal moments of your life are probably when your thoughts were changed. A lot of us we think we can just think anything we want and, and, and it'll change our and, and, and we won't change our behavior. The truth of the matter is, if you want to change your behavior, you got to deal with your thought life first. Your thoughts are so powerful, they'll affect every arena of your life. And if you'll go back and look at your life, the most pivotal moments of your life is probably when you change the way you thought about something. I know I don't do a lot of marriage counseling anymore, but I've done a lot over the years. And I have a great, we have a great team that does a lot of that, and they're so good at it. But every year, I always, I always try to work with one couple. And I spend, because when I, and the reason I don't do a lot, because when, I'm in, when I go in, I'm all in. You know, I think about it every day. And, and so this couple, about four or five years ago, they were going through some, a pretty awful situation. And I had started working with them, and I was meeting with them, and counseling, working through some issues. And, and all of a sudden, man, it was, it, their marriage just turned around. And, um, and so they didn't need to see me anymore. They're in love. Everything's working great. And, and you know, honestly, it doesn't always work out that way. And so I, was, I, I called them and said, I want to meet with you. They said, they said, you want to meet with us? We're, we're done. We're good. I said, no, no, I want to learn from you. So they came back in and I said, let me talk to you and ask you a question. What, changed, what happened? Because I want to know what I said that, that helped them. Because <laughs> sometimes it feels like nothing I say helps anybody. You know, and so I'm like, what did I say that helped you? Because I want to learn. I want to write that down so I help someone else. You know, and, and they said, I'll never forget. I'll never forget what he said. He said, he said when, I, when I figured out something changed in my thinking, when I figured out that she really wasn't against me, that she was for me, and every behavior that I didn't like, I took it as she was against me, all of a sudden something switched in me. My thoughts changed. I said, what happened to you? He said, or she said rather, when he, when he, he said that rather about her, when I found out everything that she, she wasn't against me, and she said, when I found out he really loved me, and that when he, when he was home late, came home late from work, that he really did still love me, that just changed everything for me. Pivotal moments happen when we change the way we think. It changes every arena of our life. I remember when I first started preaching, you know, and um, in fact, the first time I ever preached, true story, 
um, I got up to preach and, um, and I was so nervous. I was on edge. And so um, I, I, I asked the people to turn, a small church, I said, turn to the book of Haggai. And I promise you, I start looking through my Bible and it looks like the book of Haggai left the Bible. I, 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 I just could not find it. I was looking, I was looking, I was looking. And the true story, the music person on the front row handed me their Bible and said, here, use mine. That's my first message, everybody. And can I tell you, it was awful. It was awful. It was terrible. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be straight up with you. I mean, Jesus even would have said it was terrible. He said A for effort, but it was awful. And I never forget, I left, I left that little church that night. And I truly thought to myself, I mean, you are not called to ministry. And I, I had almost, I'll be honest, almost like an audible voice. It wasn't, but almost. I heard it so loud and clear in my head. The very best thing you could ever do for God is be an administrator for a church. Don't, don't, don't try to communicate. I'll never forget that. And I went home. And I actually, I was living out of state, but I came home, I stayed at my parents' house. And I went home, and I'll never forget this moment as long as I live. I, I was in my parents' home, and my mom said, hey, great job. But if you know my mom, she's going to say, my, that's what my mom does. You know, all moms have to do that. And you know they're not telling the truth. You know they don't think it. But, but they said, she said, great job. And I knew she didn't mean it. And I, and, but my dad stopped. And he looked, I'll never forget, I was standing at the doorway. He stopped and said, Norm, it was a start. And you got to start somewhere. He goes, but don't quit, don't give up, and God's hand will be on you. And if you don't quit, and you don't, and see, his words at that moment were prophetic in my life. I, I think we have, to, we have to recognize and realize, everybody, that our words, you don't have to be a prophet to have prophetic words. You don't have to be a prophet to speak words of life over someone. And at that moment, my dad spoke in my life, and he said, you're going to be a world changer. If you don't quit, I promise you, God's hand, you'll get good at this. You'll stick with it. And that, there's something that changed. That voice that was in my head, the words that my dad spoke to me that day, it caused those words to get out of my life. In other words, he changed the way I thought. And I'm here today as a result of someone speaking words into my life. What I'm saying to you is, is, your thoughts are, there's moments of your life that are very pivotal. And if you go back, you'll look, it was you changed the way you think. Here's what I'm saying to you. I will never change my life until I change the way I think. That's the thought. We're trying to change our life without changing the way we think. The scriptures back us up on this. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 2 says, wise thinking leads to right living. Hey, like this, stupid thinking leads to wrong living. And, and so the question is, what kind of thinking do you want? See, we're, we want to get, deal with the living part, and the Bible starts off by dealing with the thinking part. Jesus did the same thing, and the, and the, longest, the longest sermon recorded in the Bible is found in, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon, not just of what Jesus spoke, but anywhere, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, what's interesting about the Sermon on the Mount is it started off by Jesus really talking to his disciples, the 12 disciples, and then somewhere along the way, he's having this small like little staff meeting, and somewhere along the way, what happened was is the crowds heard him teaching, and they got around him, and, and so right in the middle, Matthew chapter 5, sort of a staff meeting, and somewhere around Matthew chapter 6 and 7, Jesus starts talking to really all, all the people, congregation type thing, and he's dealing with sort of the 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 the, the the, the main part of chapter six, he's dealing with your thoughts. 
He's talking about how you think about things. He's talking about worry. And a lot of us, we deal with worry and thinking. And, and Jesus makes this incredible th- statement in the middle of this, Matthew chapter 6. He said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So which tells me that as believers, there are thoughts that we can have that are in our thinking that we need to take control of. You can't let every thought that comes in your mind stay in your mind. You can't let thoughts, because thoughts really do a lot of things. We're going to unpack this. What I want to do, I have about 21 minutes left with you. And what I want to do is I want to take about eight minutes, 10 minutes. I want to give you some theology. I want to tell you what the Bible says about your thoughts. Now, we, we do know that right thinking leads to right living. Stupid thinking leads to wrong living. But what, does the, what is the theology of this? Number one, here's what the Bible says this, that thoughts create behaviors. They're thoughts in your life, they'll create the behaviors. And see, what we want to do is we want to deal with our behaviors. And we just kind of want to discipline our way through it, discipline our way through it. And I read a book called Atomic Habits. And, and in this book, really what they're saying is only 4% of, of, of creation of, the, of, of a population of the world today really has the makeup to sort of discipline their way through. They want to dis- discipline. Well, there's the 96% of us that are left, everybody. We're the ones that sign up on the gym and the gym on January 1st. And by February, we're trying to get out of it. You know what I'm talking about? And so, so thoughts create behaviors. Here's what Jesus said it like this. In that same Matthew chapter 6, same chapter, this is what he said. He said, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. Like whatever has your attention is really dealing with the thoughts that go into your, into your mind. It affects your whole body. This is why I oftentimes tell you, and I'm, you know, sincere about this when I say this, these phones that we have, they were meant to be a blessing, but they really turned into a curse for a lot of us because we're looking at it all day long. And what we don't realize is it's filling our whole body with something. And and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong uh, to watch the news and the news is fine, but can I just tell you, like, if all you're doing is feeding on news, and if all you're doing is, is feeding on social media, and Twitter, and Instagram, and, you know, all the other people around your life, it's going to fill your life with something. And this is why I'm, I would encourage you, I'll propose something to you that I'm going to do, because, because, you know, I, I have to be honest with you, I'm a task sort of guy. And I, I kind of live my life by task, and, and um, I get a lot of fulfillment out of accomplishing things and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, like, I, like uh, on my phone, like uh, if I have my apps need to be updated, and I could be in an airplane, and it'll be like, you have four apps that, need, that are out of date that need to be updated. And, and I'll have to download the internet on the airplane, and I have to deal with those apps. You know what I'm saying? And get them up to date. And uh, Dean, on the, Dean on my wife, on the other hand, is just the opposite of that. She has about 123 apps right now that are out of date on her phone. It drives me crazy. She can have, like when I get a text, I got to answer it, write it down, and get it off my list. Dina right now has about 70 unanswered texts on her phone. 60 are for me, everybody. You know what I'm talking about? So, so, so when I get up in the morning, here's a discipline of mine. I want to read my Bible. And I want to pray and do, it and do my, and my devotions. And I have to discipline myself not to pick up my phone because it's right there. Because here's what I know. If I pick up that phone 
and I hit that little button that says email on it, I'm going to get about 40 emails pretty quick. And about 10 of them don't mean anything to me, but there are going to be some reports that I'm going to read. There's going to be emails from staff and some other churches and that sort of thing. And, and I'm going to start reading them. And all of a sudden, my morning that woke up glorious, I'm going to get aggravated about something. There's something someone's going to say to me that's going to kind of, and before long, I'm dealing with that. And guess what I'm not doing? I'm not in my Bible. And even if I do read my Bible, I read it with sort of a mindset that, man, I kind of ticked off about something right now. Here's what happened. Thoughts came in that really changed, really, the direction of my day. And we, we do the same thing. You know that. You can be having a perfectly fine day, and all of a sudden you get a ding on your phone. It's a text from someone, and you don't like what they said, and it messes with the rest of your day. You become consumed with it. So I would encourage you. I want to throw something out to you, our church. And I'm not asking you to do this necessarily, other than if you feel led to do it. Maybe you start with me today. I'm doing this today. I'm starting today after service. I'm going to take a one-week soul fast. And that is one week, I'm going to say no to the news, no to social media, no to any sort of, uh, you know, stuff that's not work, on my phone, and no secular music. And I'm not just going to say no to that. I'm going to replace all that, are you ready, with worship. I'm gonna, students, I'm going to say to you, like, how about this? Say no to video games in your home. Come on, parents. Help me out a little bit. No. No to shooting all those people. I mean, let those guys live for one more week. You can kill them next, week, next Tuesday. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say no. And I'm not just saying no as a matter of discipline. I'm not saying no just to say I, so I can prove that I can do it. I'm going to say no to that so I can say yes to more worship with God. And what I, I, it's almost like a test I want to give you. See how different your life is. See how different your soul is after a week of that. Because here's what the Bible says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Like, you, you do this. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things. Like, we're thinking about the wrong things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He says, and then something will happen. And verse 9 says, then the God of peace will be with you all. Can I be honest with you? That's my hope for you. Like, this is what I really, really, truly want for you. I want peace in your home, peace in your relationships, peace on this earth. Peace in your walk with the Lord and walk with other humans. And all of that comes if we fix our thoughts on him. Number two, second part of, of the theology of this, and I'm going to get some real practical stuff with you. That number two is this, that our thoughts determine our future. Our thoughts, what you're thinking today, is going to affect where you'll land at the end of this year. Because you've all heard this before. Sow a thought, reap an action. You've heard this, sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Like, I, we, we believe this. Then sow a lifestyle, reap a future. Notice this, sow a thought, and it ends up with reaping a future. So here's, here's the thought with it. Your thoughts really are the beginning of where you're going to land in life. Scripture is clear on this. Romans chapter 5, 8 and verse 5 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. 
If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, everybody, there is, this is what I want for you. I want life and peace. He said, if I, here's what the scripture says. If I can get you thinking God thoughts, then you can have life and peace in your life. Or if you're going to think what the world thought, you're going to get chaos and you're going to get the challenges and the things that the world produces in your life. And so the, the reality is it's up to you. Now, I don't have time. I'm not doing a series on thoughts. If I was doing a four-part series, I would probably start in 2 Corinthians 10. That's a big chapter on dealing with thoughts. And that, there's a lot of theology in there. But here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, that even though I live in this world, I do live in the world, but I don't fight my battles the way the people of the world do. Like I, I don't fight like they do. They're gonna will their way through. They're just gonna say, if I can just get disciplined enough, if I could just discipline myself, then, then I could change. He said, but I keep every thought under control in order to make it obey Christ. Here's what I'm saying. You are the sum total of your thoughts. You are, because those are creating behaviors in your life. Your behaviors are creating a lifestyle. A lifestyle creates a future. Anybody, come on, let's say this. Anybody can discipline themselves to do anything for three days. That's just discipline. But then we keep going back and we, and we, and we, like we live that verse where Paul said, I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. And we're trying to, we're trying just to discipline our, our bodies and our flesh and our mind. We're trying not to look at this and we're trying to do read our Bible. And the reality of it is we got to change first with our thoughts and our thoughts really change our behaviors. Our behaviors create a new lifestyle. A new lifestyle, everybody, creates an awesome future. What I'm saying is this. If we could just be consistent at a few things in our life, we could have a different life. And one of them is that I have to take, and this is scripture, I wish it wasn't true. Not some thoughts, I have to bring every thought under control. So let me wrap it up. 10 minutes. How do I bring my thoughts under control? I'm gonna get real practical. I just gave you the theology of it. What are some steps that I could do to really get control of my thoughts? Number one, real simple. I, I, I'm gonna make these so simple, I know what you're gonna say. You're going to sit there and go, it can't be that simple. What I'm asking you is for this year, just test me. Just prove it and see if this won't change the way you, the way you view thoughts that come into your life and how you manage those. Number one is this, that we want to read the Bible. I, I almost didn't put the phrase read the Bible because I wanted to put the phrase in here, consume the Bible. Not just read the Bible but to consume it. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter four about itself? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cut in between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, here's what the Bible does. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Can I, can I just tell you something about the Bible? Can I just let you know, this is not a normal book, everybody. This is not a history book that when Jesus walked on the earth and the children of Israel walked on. Can I just preach to you for just for a minute right now? Can I just tell you this Bible is alive? It's the very word of God. And when you read it, I'm asking you not just to read the Bible this year, consume the Bible. I'll say it to you like this. Don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. 
And what I know about, about myself and how I manage to do read the Bible every day, you have to, you, you really, you have to get a plan. And not just, not just read the Bible randomly, but get a plan. I encourage everybody to do what we're doing as a church. And we do the one-year Bible reading plan. And so what we do as a church, and it's right on our website, it's right on our app, is you can go to our website or our app and click on their Bible reading plan. It's on the homepage. Click on it, and it will take you to a date, today's date. And you click on that, and it'll actually have one chapter of the New Testament that we read together. And at the end of the year, if you'll do that, Monday through Friday, five days a week, it takes you, are you ready? It'll take you five minutes to read one chapter. You say, well, I don't have five minutes. Okay, don't even read a chapter of the New Testament. Read a psalm. The average psalm takes you about three minutes to read. You say, well, I don't have three minutes to read. Okay, read a proverb. Takes you 10 seconds. So I don't have 10 seconds. You need to change your schedule. What am I saying is, is this, let the Bible read you. And all I can tell you is this, if you'll start reading the Bible every day, it'll start changing the thoughts in your life. And what you're going to find out, what comes out of the scripture, everybody, is, is I'm not talking about just a discipline, but you're putting God's word in you, which is alive, which has the ability, according to scripture, to really change your thoughts. It'll replace the bad thoughts that are in your life. So number one, read the Bible. Number two, and this is just as important, we have to get God's word in our mouth. You've got to, what does God say about your situation? When that thought comes in and when the doctor comes in and says, you have this, all of a sudden thoughts will come into your mind. Well, man, I'm, I'm going to live, I'm going to die prematurely. I'm going to go bankrupt. I'm going to, you know, my marriage is done. And then at that point, it's not just Okay, I'm going to deal with a thought just by, with another thought. And we try to will our way through it. If I could just change my thoughts. But how many know sometimes those bad thoughts just keep coming and coming and coming and never go away? Well, Jesus dealt with this. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, we just talked about, he talked about worry. This is what he said. He said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. So don't worry about these things. How? saying. Here's what I'm saying. So many of us are trying to replace a bad thought with a good thought. The Bible doesn't say replace a bad thought with a good thought. The Bible says replace a bad thought with the promise of God's word. Sometimes we've got to, when those thoughts come, we've got to answer those thoughts with, hey, what, God, what do you say about this? What are you saying about this? And can I tell you what you're really doing? It's called prayer. You're really praying God's word. And that's really what prayer is. We, we've turned prayer into such a formal thing. And we, we pray this way, we say, and we think we have to get like almost like King James-ish when it comes to praying. And we start off by saying, oh, Lord God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, thou art mighty. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. And we want to give a refrain of hallelujah out. And God is up in heaven and he's saying, why am I the only one you talk to weird? Why do you talk normal to everybody else but me? And we're trying, we're trying, come on, we're trying to get fancy with God. He knows what you're thinking before you even think it. You know what prayer really is? Prayer is just talking to God. 
I was meeting with an uh, individual here some time ago, and, and uh, he came to my office and wanted to talk to me about something, and, and um, he just, I mean, let, rip, ripped out about 15 minutes worth of problems in his life. And I said, well, you ever prayed about this? He said, oh, pastor, I'm busy. I don't have time. I said, well, you had time to talk for 15 minutes to me. You might have time to talk to God for one minute. You know what prayer is? Prayer is just conversing with God. Prayer is just talking to God. And really, it's really talking back to him what he says in his word already. Here's what I'll say to you. When life gets too hard to stand, kneel. When it's too hard to stand on your own, go to God. And replace. Get God's word. And so when the enemy comes in and tells you, I mean, you can't do this, you got to respond. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When the enemy comes in and says, you know, your kids will never serve God. They'll never live for God. Man, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When the enemy comes in and tells you that you're going to die prematurely, you're never going to make it, our response should be, I will live and not die, and I will declare the wondrous works of the Lord. When the Bible comes in and says, man, you can't make it in ministry, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Are you hearing me, everybody? we got to get God, because you are the sum total of what you think and not what you say. And the third part of this is, the third step is this. Four more minutes, everybody, is we want to meditate on God's word. Now, this word meditate, I, 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 it's, it's become, there's sort, of a, there's sort of a new age, sort of people are trying to mix new age religion into the church. And when I say meditate, I'm not talking about just like, are you ready? Humming. Hmm. I'm not talking about just like, because we have these moments in our lives too. We were on vacation last year. In fact, we were on vacation last year, and, and uh, we, we were uh, staying at a, at a house on the lake, and, and um, the kids were there, and we were water skiing and all that. And, and um, so one night, we were going to go out. We had some friends with us, and we were going to go out for dinner and uh, about 30 minutes away. And, and how, you know, some of the kids didn't want to go eat. Other kids did want to eat. And we said, well, you're all going to eat, and you're going to eat right now. This isn't a restaurant, you know. And, and so we're going to go eat into town. So we got in the car, and there's seven seats, and we have seven total. And so it's always a big fight. Who's going to sit? And the bench in the back and who gets the captain's chairs and who's going to sit in what order and all that and we hear all that and then all the way there it's an argument about what restaurant we're going to eat at you know and I want this and I want that and then we finally decide on a restaurant and then it becomes who's going to sit next to who I want to sit next to Natalie I don't want to sit next to him you know and that goes on and on and on so this is happening for an hour and right in the middle of this my my little Olivia uh, I look over and there's a, I don't want to sit by you. I don't want to sit. I didn't want to hear anyways. Well, mom and dad made me come. I look over and this is what I see. Here's Olivia over there. I said, honey, what are you doing? She goes, I'm blocking off all that noise. And guys, that's not the meditation I'm talking about. <laughs> Nothing wrong with this getting blocking off all the noise. I get that. That's not what he's talking about. There's a Bible meditation that's not about blocking out anything. It's actually the opposite of that. It's think, the word meditate in the Bible means to, it's the English word ruminate. It's the word to think on. It's the word to chew on. It's the, it's the word like a cow has four stomachs that would chew on something, bring it down to their stomach, and then later on bring it back up and think about it. And there's, we gotta get back. I know this seems like old school, we got to go back. Remember the days when you'd get a, a problem in your life, you'd find a verse, 
and you'd write it down and you put it on your mirror in your bathroom or in your car or, or in your billfold or your wallet and you would open up your wallet and you'd look at that verse. That's what meditating is, is to think on a verse all day long. Here's what the Bible says. If you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. When we moved here to start East Coast Believers Church, we, we um, didn't know anybody here, and it was moving here just kind of cold turkey. And we moved here because we actually thought God asked us to come. You know, and, um, and we had friends that would tell us, you're crazy, you've lost your mind, you're gonna move to a town that nobody knows you. Start a church where nobody even, people, does anybody want you to come? No, nobody even knows we're coming. We were living in a small town in the Midwest called Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and, and the thing about Tulsa is uh, the, the real estate market out there is very different than the real estate market here in Florida. One thing that they're very, they live in a bubble where the real estate market doesn't really go up or down much at all. It's just very consistent. Nothing like Orlando and some like Las Vegas, Los Angeles. So, so when we moved here, to start East Coast, it was right at the at the uh, the end of that. Remember that big real estate, you know, bubble out in the in two thousand four and five, that sort of thing. And so, um, houses were like you couldn't buy. I mean, people were putting way over. They were off, the offer price meant nothing. People were paying way more than that. So I remember we found a home we liked and we made an offer on it. And the realtor came back to us and goes, "Oh, you're just one of like ten offers. You got you. They're not going to take your offer. You got to offer over and above." what the asking price is. It's a bidding war. So I never heard of that before. So we made offers on one, two, three, four homes. And all four of them, they got rejected. They were asking price. So I remember that weekend we left. We flew back to where we were living. And, and I remember thinking to myself, what? because all of a sudden the thought started coming. You'll never have a house to live in there. You can't afford to live in Orlando. You, you, th- who, this is a Awful mistake that you're making, moving your family, two little ones at the time. Awful mistake to move here. And so I had these thoughts that would come in my mind. You're going to have to live in an extended stay motel for a year. That's what's going to happen. And you, you'll never have a house. You, that's, I mean, you, you, you picked the wrong city. You should have picked, you know, Wichita, Kansas or something. You know what I'm talking about? You can't do this. So I remember getting up in the middle of the night and I was talking to God about it. I said, God, I don't know what to do. And I never, God brought me to, thank God for his answers. He brought me to Deuteronomy chapter eight. I'll never forget that. Where it says, I bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. I bring you into a land that you'll lack nothing. I, I remember that verse. I opened my Bible and I started looking for it. I found it. I said, I, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of Deuteronomy chapter eight, a word jumped off the page. He says, I have goodly houses for you to dwell therein. And that became, I started, every time that thought came, you'll, you'll live in an extended stay motel. You'll never have a home to live in here. You can't ever afford to live in Orlando. I says, no land, you're, God, you're bringing me to a land that flows with milk and honey. You're bringing me to a land that I'll have no lack therein. You'll have goodly houses for me to dwell there. And can I just tell you, God's been faithful to his word. So when I, here's, let me just wrap it up with this thought. I, I'm done, but the four things, we have to open our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is so important to me that I'm starting a new series in February on the Holy Spirit. Four weeks, and we're gonna talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. One of the things that the Holy Spirit will do for us is in Isaiah 55, it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Which most people read that and go, well, who can know what the Lord, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can know the Lord's ways? And that's, can I just tell you, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, hey, you can know my ways. You can know my thoughts. Just know they're higher than human ways. That's what the role of the Holy Spirit is for in our life. So we can know God's thoughts. So we can know this isn't a mystery hidden for us. He wants to reveal it to us by the Holy Spirit. So we have to open our lives to the role of the Holy Spirit. I know that's a shameless plug for my next series. But that's the, that's, that's the truth. Because here's, here's what it says in Ephesians. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we, here it is, ask or think. He can do more than we think according to the power that worketh in us. Thank you for listening to the East Coast Believers Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more info about this podcast or other resources, visit eastcoastbelievers.org.